Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean Minute podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artist from ScottArtist.com. And I'm Heather Artist from BlackPearlMinute.com. Thanks for joining us as we draw and quarter Minute 82 of Dead Man's Chest. But by the code of the Pirate Brethren, I wanted to almost say thanks again to everybody actually for some reason. Just thanks for being here. That was it. I don't know. I just had a thanks and then I wanted to do another thanks. But anyways, as I was saying with the Pirate Code of the Brethren thing, mm-hmm. we can't really officially start the minute breakdown unless we are properly informed of the Pirate Word of the Week because this is a Monday. It's actually going to have a number of things that don't usually come together. A really bad egg segment, a Pirate Word of the Week. It's like one of those perfect storms because there was just a little mess up or something like that. So... It's kind of like a hybrid Friday-Monday episode for some things. Look, you don't even have your stuff together. Okay, let's get this over with. Ahoy there, scallywags. Pirate Word of the Week in 5, 4, 3, 2, yarrr. You should be more of a man and less of a fish. Mm, That's a good one. It's characterizing one as spineless. It's interesting because I don't, I almost see this more as like a Disney phrase. From a Disney pirate movie. Does it have that ring to it? Yeah. I can almost see like Kurt Douglas saying it with the kind of on the Nautilus doing the whole the whole 10,000 leagues under the sea kind of deal. Whale of a tail. Because it's all true. I swear by my tattoo. Yeah. (laughs) One of those things. I don't know. I like it. It's kind of wholesome for a pirate thing though. Right? Yeah. I mean, I get the gist. It's just, it just seems a little wholesome. So maybe it's appropriate for Disney. It's a little too clean for you? Yeah. I didn't say it was clean for me. It just gives me that Disney movie era vibe to it. It's a little too soft for you. Yeah, maybe. But I don't know if it's too soft. It's just, like I was saying, it gives me that vibe, which puts us in the Disney mood since we are discussing Disney properties here. Pirates of the Caribbean, rides, films, all that stuff. I don't know. Exactly. I'll roll with it. There we go. In the previous minute... Elizabeth Swan wraps her hands around Jack's compass, gives it a close inspection as it spins around, and gets a little wide-eyed when it firmly settles on a direction. I guess she'll do anything to save Will Turner. Meanwhile, Jack is completely satisfied that his compass is working again, commits a bedroom faux pas by yelling out, Gibbs' name. (laughs) And then we cut to Lord Cutler Beckett pointing his sword in the face of good old Weatherby Swan. While Mercer checks out Beckett's telescope, It appears Port Royal is just as spicy as Tortuga, from what I'm gathering from the previous minute. That it is. It's a lot racier than I remember it, but that's the way pirates go, I guess. Guess so. Minute 82 begins with Beckett responding to Swan's justice retort, including the previous owner of this sword, I believe. 
He continues that they're sheathing the blade. Our ships are in pursuit and justice will be dispensed by cannonade and cutlass and all matter of remorseless pieces of metal. The minute ends with Beckett unlocking the manacles that bind Governor Swan's hands. So you see, Mercer, every man has a price he is willing to accept. Manacles, Actually, it was huh? uh, more precise. He will willingly accept. I didn't want to get called out on that. I kind of ad-libbed some of that. Manacles, for one thing. Manacles. Yeah. What's wrong with manacles? Shackles, They manacles. call them shackles. I know, but manacles. They were a little They're tight, on for one thing. They left red marks on his wrists. Wow, so he was really being punished. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't even in the script. He's like, we gotta get these off me. It's cutting off blood flow. <laughs> they were they were pretty red when he when they really took them I didn't off. notice yeah. that. Huh. Yeah. They had to be uncomfortable then. He didn't even touch, you know, the part where they were red. Yeah. He touched above it. Huh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. How long was he actually sitting there in those things? Jonathan Price. Good I'm not question. talking about Governor Weatherby Swan. I'm talking Jonathan Price. Was unless he actually it, locked in those things for hours or something? Unless it was makeup, but... That would be a hell of a like, detail. It wasn't like uniformly red. You know, it was redder Maybe in some spots and others. So. I don't know. Did they actually go to the trouble of making red mark lines on his wrist? That's pretty crazy. Yeah, because they were red. Give it up for the makeup and costume department there. Okay, costume. I threw it in. Unless they were torturing rows, him. But really? Yeah. <laughs> in real life? Yeah. So, no, no, I can do it. I can do it. Just just put them on. It's more yeah. realistic. Yeah, that's crazy. Are you a fan of guilt trips? No. Let me rephrase that. If you're a fan of guilt trips, then this minute and Cutler Beckett are for you. That's very true. Right? How minute? did he get Norrington sword? Uh, I know the answer to this, actually. Do you really? Yeah. Because I read it in the expanded stuff. Oh, okay. There, the universe stuff. Maybe it was in the Pirates Wikia. But he actually left his sword... Or he, the sword, when this whole ship was lost and the whole thing, you know, his sword was actually behind. In the hurricane? Yeah. And it was, I think, left behind. Or when he ends up, how did it come? It's like when, I don't know. It's interesting because somehow it was saying that the sword was left behind in the office. So or he on didn't... Port Royal. And he did that. But actually what it was saying was it. So they in the movie, they almost make it sound like the hurricane happened. And Norrington has been floating around in this world, like right after the hurricane, disheveled. It looks like he's a shipwreck victim here. Yeah. But from what I read in the expanded universe, I think he's the lone survivor of the Dauntless going down, right? In okay. the hurricane. Yeah. He comes back, he's at Port Royal, he gets decommissioned and kicked out of the military, basically, for this incident. And so during that process, his sword is left behind when he's kicked out. Beckett then just keeps it because it's part of when he takes over. It's just part of some of the stuff there. So did he leave it behind because he wasn't worthy of the sword? That's a good question. I don't know. I didn't really get into much of that detail of why he left it behind. Hmm. Yeah. Did he leave it behind because he was disgraced or because it was part of the commission of being a Commodore that he actually left it behind? Maybe. And he felt disgraced. He felt unworthy of it. Yeah. That could be. Because he, he has that kind of ego bravado. And if he's not worthy of it, then he's not going to keep it. And he's so beat down here anyways. But it's interesting with the whole office thing in Beckett. Because the idea is, is that this like guy not only pins the fate of Elizabeth Swan square on the shoulders of good old Weatherby there. Yeah. He continues to load it on thick. Oh, yeah. Did I say freaking thick? 
That's what this guy does. He piles it on there. Because I, he says, like, I can't imagine the horror that will happen to everyone on board those ships as our fleet pursues and catches them. Cannonball swords. It will be a bloodbath. That's basically what he's inferring there. Cannonade, by the way. Cannonade. Cannonade is thirsty for that deep down body <laughs> thirst. If you're really thirsty, go for a lead cannonball. I mean, <laughs> that'll just wake you right up. Yeah. You can suck on the lead cannonball. That's because you're safe because you didn't know that you could get lead poisoning yeah. at the time. So it doesn't affect people of that era. That's how it works. That's what a chemistry teacher told me. He's like, you guys have to put on the gloves and the goggles and all this because this chemical is now cancerous or known to cause cancer. As we like to say out here in California with our signs, this chemical is known to cause cancer in the state of California. And then really? Just and in just the in state. the state. But anyways... <laughs> The chemistry teacher would say, you got to put on gloves and stuff like that. I don't have to because it wasn't a cancer-causing agent at the time when I was in school. But for you guys, it is now. So that's how it works. That's why some people are immune to it and others aren't. But anyways, what we're talking about is the cannonballs here. Cannonade for that deep down body thirst. But he has the gall, and we're talking about Beckett, not Gatorade, the maker of cannonade. Is he has the gall to double down on the threat. And I find it so distasteful to contemplate what will happen. It's like, damn you, Beckett, really? That's what you're trying to sell us, that you're concerned about this. But the one thing is, is that, like, I should give a bravo to Tom Hollander. Because he delivers that calm evilness perfectly. Yeah. When I watched that scene multiple times, I completely expected to hear the Emperor's voice while he was talking. Where was Palpatine? That's what I wanted. (laughs) He just reminds me of him for some reason. In this scene, I don't. it's not necessarily elsewhere, but it's here. The overconfidence exudes from him, which you know will be his ultimate demise, of course, and his downfall. But he revels in it. And then he's like he reveling in this whole, I got the upper hand. And then he ratchets up the audience in regards to despising him. Oh, I'm afraid the deflector shield will be quite operational <laughs> when your friends arrive. And then Beckett's like, oh, I'm afraid our cannonade and cutlasses will be quite deadly. When your friends get boarded. <laughs> but he he finds oh, it distasteful I... and uh, to contemplate the horror that they will, that will happen That's to them on board. That's what I'm saying. Board. He's just faking it. That's why, like, it's, like, come it's on, kind of an dude. emperor's thing. Yeah. Oh, I'm afraid. You know, because he gets that kind of gleeful joy in his voice, but he's still, oh, I can hardly contemplate it. It just hurts me mentally. Yeah. And you notice he can't look at swan while he's saying this yeah but he's given like the the eyeballs to it and i just he's almost like ready to crack a smirk to the audience (laughs) it's almost like a deadpool thing going on there he's breaking the fourth wall almost like he's gonna give a wink and a nod to the audience can you believe this idiot weatherby did i say weatherby is gonna buy this story and then i can see him winking to the audience that's what i (laughs) or like a little toast where weatherby can't see it mr swan governor does swan have a choice here though If he rebuffs Beckett's request and puts his daughter at risk even more so than if he pledges loyalty to Beckett in the hopes of saving Elizabeth. Is that really what's going on here then? Well, that and being let free. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Because I think this is one of those situations where you appear to fold, but continue to do what you can to help her out. Right. Because he can't do anything in shackles. Are you happy I use shackles? Thank you. So he might as well go along to get along kind of idea. Get his own justice. Yeah. But I like, and maybe it's a bit like audience obvious that we get this. It's his do what you can for Elizabeth remark. That's what is Swan's response. 
Oh, yeah. Do what you can for my daughter. Yeah. That was pretty much the understanding, I thought. Exactly. You know, once he gave him all the authority of everything, you know, you would think that he wouldn't have to say, do what you can to Elizabeth. That would have been the Yeah, that's agreement. the understanding. The line seems a bit serving up like the partnership reason for the audience. So they clearly know why he's joining Beckett, so to speak. Yeah. It's not that he's weak. He's just doing it to save his daughter. It's, it's that wink and nod to the audience again. Unless he's just solidifying the deal, making sure this isn't some damn genie trick. Oh, very true. Which we know happens in this franchise, so it's good to be as clear as possible when making a deal with the devil. That's very true. But he can't just leave it there, though. After the shackles come off, shackles, said it again, just to make you happy. Good. Beckett still feels the need to needle Swan about winning. Right. See Mercer, every man has a price is essentially what he says. He's teaching Mercer a lesson. Yeah, more poetic. Does Mercer really need to be taught a lesson? That's such a dig at Weatherby there. Oh yeah, big time. I don't know why I'm saying Weatherby lately. Too, because I I tried to stay away from it in the first season, Governor Swan, but he's kind of lost his governorship. Well, now he has. But yeah, it is more poetic though, the, the line that comes from Beckett though. It's like, damn, this guy is a bastard. Smug. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah, he is. Oh yeah. And then while all this is going on, some good details happening. Background action. Setting the Port Royal mood. Takes us back to our first season, Curse of the Black Pearl. Port Royal Harbor. Seems Gore likes to always default to rowboats. We need something (laughs) in the goddamn background. Uh, rowboats, Mr. Verbinski? Brilliant. Let's cue the rowboats. It's probably much easier to move around in the harbor than a ship. Ships, that's true. Yeah. The first time they tried a bunch of ships, it was just a nightmare. Yeah. Okay, rowboats it is. But we should have some background action so people see this as a busy harbor. Right. It, so it doesn't look like a drape. No, but that's a drape. <laughs> it's that old school, like, <laughs> pirate ship drapes that are just kind of waving there. <laughs> but the funny thing is, it really is a cue the rowboats kind of situation here. They all seem to appear about the same time. <laughs> They're all just sitting off frame. Well, between the door and the window openings from his office. And then Gore yelled, action! And then all of a sudden, they started rowing into view. (laughs) They're just all hovering there. Oh, we better go. Yeah. It's a slightly set up scene. But I'd rather have them than not have them. Exactly. It's just weird that all of a sudden, they're all rowing in that one area. (laughs) It's like, really? We got a whole giant harbor here. Can we get some buffer zone between us? No, they're uh, they're all rowing there together. They all need to do business at the same time. It's a rowing party. Yep. Maybe it's a race. (laughs) <laughs> rowboat race. <laughs> I don't know how much time. A, in a busy harbor, they're going to have rowboat races. We saw what happens when you're in a long boat in the last movie. You get crushed by the ship. Yes. So you don't want to do that. Which seems to weirdly, we're not going to get into that manifest out of nowhere the way the direction of the ship was coming. But anyways, you mentioned Norrington's sword in this whole scene. It's a one-handed, <laughs> straight-bladed light and roughly a meter in length. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Not bad. No. (laughs) It had a blade that was folded steel and had gold filigree laid into the handle. It's nice. As everyone surely remembers, this is the one Will made on kind of the commission of Governor Swan, Mm -hmm. dear old Weatherby, who presents it to Noreen when he's promoted to Commodore. But the sword's journey throughout the trilogy has been noted by Terry Rossio and Ted Elliott. More so Terry Rossio, because I actually got a quote from him. That's why I'm saying it. Okay. 
And he stated, it's worth tracking the sword from the very start of Curse of the Black Pearl all the way through to nearly the final scene in At World's End. Apparently, this journey of the sword has led some fans to refer to the weapon as the Sword of Destiny. Oh, really? Yeah. Which is an interesting nickname because Sword of Destiny has some, like, cultural references. Not just a plot device in Pirates of the Caribbean films. Maybe gently likened to that movie, The Red Violin. Remember that? Yeah. And I say gently because the sword is not necessarily the main character like the violin is in that right. particular movie. Travels through history as the violin changes hands across the ages. Long, long life being fulfilled. Just not in the way that the lady interpreted the Oracle's reading of her future there. Oh, you're going to have a long life. And she dies. Spoiler, actually, for those who haven't seen Red Violin. <laughs> but check it out. If you haven't seen it, it's worth a watch. Yeah. Red Violin. I liked it. It was an interesting take on kind of that genre of moving through the ages. Violin. Yeah. Anyways, The Sword of Destiny is part of the Witcher book series. The sequel to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon as well. Mm. Hey. Don't be hating on Crouching Tiger. And then it seems to have that reminder of, where you probably may have heard of it, the Spear of Destiny. Tracking mm. down the Spear of Destiny. Which is the spear that is said to have pierced the sight of Jesus while he was hanging on the cross. Oh, wow. That's the lore behind it. Like anything that dabbles in history, mythology, religions, all that stuff. Apparently there are four spears that people claim to be the one true Spear of Destiny. So it's the Spears of Destiny, apparently. For example, the Holy Lance in Rome is preserved beneath the dome of St. Peter's Basilica, although the Catholic Church makes no claim as to its authenticity. The first historical reference to the lance was made by the pilgrim Antoninus. Antoninus. There's too many N's right in a row, <laughs> separated by just an I. Antoninus of Piacenza. That's around eighty five seventy. In his descriptions of the holy places of Jerusalem, writing that he saw in the Basilica of Mount Zion, and this is a quote here that he wrote, the crown of thorns with which our Lord was crowned and the lance with which he was struck in the side. Hmm. Then there's one in Vienna, and there's another one in Armenia, and one buried at the church of St. Peter in Antioch, Turkey. There you go. Hello, Antioch, California. <laughs> Little known destination by uh, the Lord himself. Broke away from the Middle East. Well, that's era, weird. Visited the East Bay, California, <laughs> briefly. Walked across the water again to get back to where he was there. That's how he got here. Yeah. Land bridges, possibly. <laughs> so that's that's what I got really for this minute, because now we're we're treading in craziness. That we with are Jesus just, mingling with yeah. people in the East Bay, in the York. <laughs> and then you're going to offend people. So there you go. I don't know if you have anything else or not in this particular minute. Nope, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this really is... Maybe you don't know, for your formality here, it's a pirate show. Oh, I am good. Yeah, thank you. Something like that. Not, oh, thank you. <laughs> but because this episode didn't drop like it was supposed to on Friday... You forgot to drop the episode. Yeah, I did. So oh now I screwed God. it up. So I screwed up the whole timeline. People out there are wondering where the hell we went. But this is the time for really bad eggs because we're going to merge Monday and Friday because now we skipped kind of what was supposed to happen on last Friday's episode that didn't exist then because it's here now. Some kind of weird future back to the future thing. But that's the recurring segment where we highlight our favorite lines from the last six minutes. So we'll do it today. Order up. Really bad eggs, your ho, yo ho, yo ho, a pirate 
What do you have for us this week? If you have anything, I'm not sure you do. <laughs> it's from this minute. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yep. So you're making it up on the fly then, basically. Mm, no. I don't never. believe you. Okay, what do you have? I personally find it distasteful contemplating the horror of all those on board. I just show I just think this shows uh lost his name. Beckett's not a sliminess here. Yeah. It just shows how slimy show he is. Because he he, you know he doesn't feel this way. He finds joy in war. Exactly. He doesn't find war disgusting. He finds it he finds joy in it. He yeah. likes destroying others. He likes he's, conquering the world. Right. He he's the big man who thinks he can step on everybody. That is true, mm-hmm. actually. But again, it gets back to the whole painting on the wall with the world map. Yeah. Gets back to his saying how the world is getting smaller, everything's connected, everything's being dominated by the East India Company. It really ties into even Jack finding stuff on Pelagosto. Yeah. With the East India Trading Company logo, that kind of stuff. So it really is all tied together. And he does enjoy conquering it. And as we were saying, he almost breaks the fourth wall by giving a wink and a nod to the audience when he says that stuff. Exactly. And the fact that he thinks he can even sell that to Governor Swan, it shows, actually, I don't think he cares. And I think he knows that he's not selling it. Right. He just wants, he just wants to Governor Swan's authority and influence and loyalty. That's all he wants at this moment. Not to say he won't turn around and stab Governor Swan in the back. But he's keeping the appearance of, I'm high society, I'm people-minded. Yeah. And I really don't want this to happen. It's the, help me help you not kill all these people. Yeah. Because they'll all be on your shoulders if I have to kill them all. That's such a backhanded compliment or a non-thank you or a non-apology, whatever it's called. Yeah. Mine also comes from this minute. Of course it does. No, this is real, though, because I purposely didn't really jump into this earlier because I wanted to save it. So I actually have a method. To your madness? Yeah. It's the devil dude, Beckett. Our ships are in pursuit and justice will be dispensed by cannonade and cutlass and all matter of remorseless pieces of metal. Because it's a great line with this perfect delivery. There's the obvious method of how this is all going to end for those not joining the future. What we were just talking about. Not joining the East India Company's future. Their world future. But it's the remorseful bit that caught me. Because it's interesting and this grandiose in a way. Of course the implements and tools of war are remorseless. That's just the nature of inanimate objects, Mr. Beckett. Yeah. Sorry, Lord Beckett. Lord Cutler Beckett. However, that's not really where I think Beckett is going. He's talking about himself. Mercer. He's also talking about the East India Company. He's talking about all three of those things. Forget about the foot soldiers and the sailors and the hired guns. Beckett is without remorse himself here. He tries to say it it will be hard to contemplate. But for him, it's hard to contemplate that senseless death because he doesn't care. He can't. Exactly. That's the hard part. It's like him trying to be a real person. He can't do that. He carved his heart out and put it in the That's basically what it is. Yeah. He sold his heart and his soul to the company. Yep. And he's mustering feelings for these people is not in his wheelhouse. No. Nope. He can't do it. And he doesn't care. So that's why I liked it. That's why I thought it was cool that he's trying to offset his baggage onto cannonballs and muskets and cutlasses and everything else. Yeah. And that shows on his face. He is the remorseless piece of metal. That's what he is. Mm-hmm. 
He is the remorseless piece of metal. That's what he is. He's like a robot in automaton. And that's where I'm at. Excited to find another robot. Because <laughs> I'm not the only one out there. And I thought I was the only automaton. No. Turns out uh, Beckett's there. Me and Beckett. Maybe made from the same hands. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's all I got. I'm going to end on automaton. Just because it really is a cool word. And I do like automatons. Looking at them from the kind of those old school ones that you see in movies and things that from the 18th hundreds and stuff they're they're pretty cool early 1900s that yeah. kind of stuff yeah we'll be back on wednesday then unless you don't have anything else to say unless i don't have anything else yeah to say. then we have to actually pause and wait for you to yak on no i'm good okay Thank we'll you. be back with minute 83 of dead man's chest till then scallywags let's keep the horns swoggling to a minimum and the drinking to a maximum yeah Cannonade is thirsty for that deep down body thirst. Gatorade is thirsty for the deep down body thirst. You've been listening to the Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed... Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and Season 2 is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, soundcloud.com slash pirates of the caribbean that's for best of clips and by all means give us a plug and review on itunes we'd appreciate it mateys oh and let's not forget the facebook cursed crew listeners group for post episode discussions that's actually a lot to remember especially if you're in a foggy haze like heather just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button perhaps i should have just said that from the beginning This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bilge rats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.